Well, I've never been called smoking Dr. G before, so that's, that's a new one for me. Well, good morning, everyone. What the caterpillar calls the end of the world, the master calls a butterfly. The story of how the caterpillar transforms into the butterfly has long been used as a metaphor for the process of transforming states of consciousness from one dimension to another. From knowing something on the surface, then undergoing a deep experience that leads to a whole new capacity and perception. Biological processes are often very helpful in giving a model for what describes our inner experience. But the caterpillar slash butterfly is an insect. Our human bodies don't transform in this way. So it's important to recognize where this story applies and where it doesn't. It is not necessary for all of our physical and civic structures to melt down totally into mush for us to make a profound change. What this story describes best is a felt sense of how our souls change or how our consciousness grows. It can feel like one's beliefs and understandings are are going along just fine, even, even optimally. And then something happens and suddenly they just stop working. One can't eat any more of that same old ways of thinking. People often withdraw at this time and feel like they are dissolving. Not physically, but in their dreams, in their ambitions, and ideas that no longer hold meaning. There may be a long period of confusion and disorientation on the outside even if it is not showing on, on the inside, even though it's not showing on the outside. What takes a caterpillar a few weeks can often take a human a few years. For those humans in a transformational process, this story offers an intriguing image of a new possibility past the feelings of disillusion and helps to draw the attention to new ideas as they arise. You see, transitions can bring forth transformations. I know there are traditions that we keep, one that we're desperately trying to keep at our household and pass on to the grandchildren is donuts on Saturday morning. I've had to fight hard for that in spite of the number of very healthy people in our family. Sometimes I get just too healthy and I just have to have a donut. Sometimes I feel too healthy and I just have to eat some grease. Some of you who are laughing, thank you. You're my friends. We've been talking about transformations. We started talking about the transformation or the transition of Noah. When God just kind of almost like pushed the, the restart button on the world. He even regretted that he had made mankind. That's, that's pretty harsh language for even God to say. Then we went from Abraham to Isaac, and from Isaac to Jacob, and we discovered that when transitions occur, oftentimes there's a new normal. I've had people tell me, I have cancer now. I'm not going back to the way it was. I never will. There's a new normal in my life. 
I've had the pain of watching people split up in their marriages. And they're not going back. They're not getting remarried. There's a new normal. This past weekend, a tragedy occurred in Denver that most of us just shake our heads and we try to figure out what in the world happened. But for many families in Denver, it's not going to be the same. Certain people are not going to walk back through the door. They're gone. There will be a new normal in that family. Well, the new normal was happening in the New Testament. We've spent quite a bit of time in the Old Testament. I want to take us to the New Testament. And there, Paul is going to transfer now the things over to Timothy. Paul represents the apostles of the Lord. Timothy represents the apostles of the church. Paul was concerned. All the original apostles are beginning to die. They're leaving this world. And he wanted to make sure that when all the good guys are gone, that we have a batch of new guys coming up. The metaphoric transition is about to take place. The Old Testament is going to be replaced with the new. The apostles of the Lord will be succeeded by the apostles of the church. Ever feel like that? You hope in your family that your kids are going to get it. The grandkids are going to get it. And at work, your co-workers are going to get it. At the church, you hope the elders get it. I'm sure at Dillon Community Church, the new pastor who comes here, they're hoping he gets it. And the new pastor is hoping that the congregation gets it. Everybody's hoping everybody gets it. But Paul is more concerned, not about Timothy and whether or not he can perform and function As a person with pastoral qualities, he's concerned about whether or not Timothy has a good soul. I uh, meet many people, but there's very few people who ever come up to me, grab my hand and say, Dr. G, how's your soul? In fact, I don't know if there's very many times I ever ask that of anybody else either. I, I ask things like, well, how are you feeling today? How goes it? What do you think about what just happened there? You just saw the telecast on the news and here's the new political thing. What's your thoughts about that? But rarely do we come up and ask somebody, how's your soul? Many people can preach. They can sing. They can dance. They can run a church. They're great in business. They're sharp in politics. But how's their soul? See, Paul knew that if if, if Timothy had a good soul, many of these other qualities in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, they would follow. The the issue is, how is your soul? The first thing in chapter 2, in 1 Timothy, he says to Timothy, he says he gives him three things that he wants him to do. First of all, his charge. He says in verse in verse. Uh, 1 of chapter 2, he says, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message. He says, pray every way you know how, for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and governments to rule well so we can be, so we can be quietly about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. 
Pray. You see, someone can be out of fellowship and preach. I could come this morning and be totally out of fellowship with God, and I can still do a good job of preaching. And you know what? So can so many men and so many women across this great world. They can get up in the pulpits today, and they can preach, and they can be totally out of fellowship. And you know why? Because that's a man-to-man encounter. That's a man-to-people encounter. People can witness and be out of fellowship with God because that's a man-to-a-person encounter. People can, people can sing and be out of fellowship with God because that's a person-to-person encounter. But you can't pray because that's a person-to-God encounter. It is God who looks at the soul. It is the soul that is made for God. But we look in pastoral searches for someone who can preach run a church and I mean preach well he's got to be able to be up there with MacArthur and Swindoll and Ortberg otherwise we're not sure we want him but you know what you could be out of fellowship and still preach well but how's your soul You can actually function as a husband and wife. You can function in your family. And you can even be out of fellowship because you're just doing the duties of the husband. You're just doing the duties of the wife. You're just perfunctorily going through your routine. But this morning I ask you, how's your soul? You see, transitions, transitions work on your soul. Some people, when you ask them about their soul, they, they think you're, you're talking about their quiet time. I'm not talking about your quiet time. The Pharisees had a quiet time, but their souls were a mess. Today, people ask us how we're feeling. How's our health? How's our job? But rarely about our souls. Our souls are very deep, and often we do not know everything that goes on down there. You see, because soul, the soul never does anything shallow. The soul only does things that are deep. This morning, we are not asking if everything is well with your ability to rationalize and rationally accept things today. We're not asking you this morning whether or not it is well with your ability to reason. We're not even asking this morning if it is well with you in your ability to feel good today. We're asking, how is your soul today? Some of you are not residents of Summit County. You're up here on vacation, and you've tried to get away, and you want some rest. You want some downtime. But the reality is, for many of you today, not everyone, but for many of you today, the reality of it is, I need some time because my soul needs time. That's what Paul felt he needed, what needed to happen in the transition between he and Tim. The second thing he wanted was his caution, and that was to protect against heresy. In chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, If anyone wants to provide leadership in the church, good, but there are preconditions. And then he lists a whole bunch of them. Being the husband of one wife, don't be addicted to a lot of wine, be able to run your household, and on and on the list goes. And we ask ourselves, why so many behaviors? Because they have to do with the soul On the surface, these behaviors look mature. But when you look more closely, these behaviors can appear a bit legalistic, downright impossible to live on a consistent basis, unless what happens, your soul is engaged. 
unless that's the way you really want it. The writer of the psalm says, Bless the Lord, O my what? Soul. Then he turns down and he says, Why so downcast, O my soul? Not why is my mindset, my feelings, my health feeling up or down, but he says, How's my soul? I've learned occasionally, I don't always do it, I want to make sure I say that today, to protect my wife's soul, Carol. Like when I was younger, I knew that Carol loved to clean the house and the garage. I don't know, but I thought this might bring joy to her soul, and so I suggested on a very rare occasion, and it was very rare, that we clean the garage. And we did, and it brought great joy to her soul. Some years later in our marriage, I thought we'd have a fun evening and go to a professional baseball game. I was ecstatic. And I thought she was too. She was a good sport. She brought a book along to read. (laughs) Next time, we'll probably just clean the garage. We are not told to grieve the Spirit of God, but to make happy the Spirit of God. I think that's the real heresy. When we grieve the Spirit and our souls are not engaged in the Gospel. Some years ago... George Will, the great uh, political writer, wrote a book called Statecraft as Soulcraft. It hardly sold any copies at all. But I remember picking it up and reading it cover to cover. It's a marvelous book of how he proposed that our government should be about the care of souls. In chapter 3, verse 14 of 1 Timothy, it says, I hope to come to see you soon, but just in case I'm delayed, I'm writing this letter so you'll know how things ought to go in the God's household, this God-alive church, this bastion of truth. This was his third point, his concern. He said to Timothy, please proceed after me with continuity. With then these convictions in your soul, I, Paul, will be assured that you, the apostles of the church, will understand how to act, teach, preach, in season and out. Our souls are tied together for the purpose of God's work, Paul says to Timothy. And that's what our church is in right now. The Dillon Church is looking for a new pastor I'm the transition guy. I love being the transition guy because I can say anything I want. And you guys have to listen. That's great. But during a transition, there can be a transformation. And that transformation will be when we as a church take another step in the direction of caring about each other's souls. And we're in this because of our soul. When we look deeply into our eye, into each other's eyes, that's hard to do sometimes, to walk up to somebody and look directly into their eyes. Oftentimes, I've tried to do that with people just as a test, and they, they look away. They, they inadvertently look up or down or, or around. It's, it's too difficult to look into the eyes. Somebody has once said that the eyes are the window of the soul. How's your soul today? Transitions are made for the soul. Maybe you're changing jobs. Maybe your kids have become empty nesters. Maybe you're going back for another degree in your 
college education. Maybe it didn't work all the way out the way you wanted it because nobody gets the life they want. You're in a transition. And please, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not talking about obsession this morning in the soul. Obsession is our word today. It's where we get obsessed. That's because obsession is at a human level. But I want to tell you the soul was made for God. Our soul is always before the Lord. My most confessed sin in life is driving. There's something about I-25 and me that sometimes doesn't mix. And I can be driving along and somebody can ace me out of a lane. That is usually not good news for me. And I asked myself the other day, when I was getting riled up over something that happened on the road, why are you so angry, oh my soul? Well, I didn't use the King James saying that way, but I'm trying to give you the picture here. Have you ever asked yourself in the midst of kind of a rage or amidst of being angry with somebody over maybe nothing, and you've asked yourself, my soul, what are you so angry about? So it goes like this. We can understand God at the, at the body level. We can understand God with our will and our emotions and intellect. Or we can understand God in our very soul. In John chapter 12 and verse 24, he says this. Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is, is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life, just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. And then in verse 26, he says this, If any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. And I'm here to tell you that we've got a lot of people who serve God, but they don't necessarily follow him. Because you see, in order to follow, that means the engagement of your very soul. Then Jesus says, then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. John Ortberg has three things listed in his, or four, maybe even five things that he lists in terms of what it means to have a great soul. Let me pass on a little knowledge from the, the big guy at Menlo Park. He says, first of all, I must acknowledge and confess my chronic dissatisfaction. <laughs> I, I, I talk to everybody. Everybody's dissatisfied about something. Work, your car, your house, your mate, your financial line, your waistline, your bottom line, the neighbors, friends, relatives... Anybody like that today? You know what we're going to do? Let's have a mass confession right now, okay? Now, let me tell you what we're going to get you into here first a minute. But I want you to take a moment without raising hands, without standing up, without verbalizing anything, but just in your heart. Say, oh God, would you just kind of forgive me of my dissatisfaction? My constant whining, complaining sometimes. Psalm 62, 3 through 5, it says, Your love is better. 
My soul is satisfied. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. That's soul talk. I have many good people, friends in the African American community, and they talk about being soul brothers. Well, I'm going to tell you something. When you're talking about a biblical soul brother, you're talking about one whose heart pants after God. Then he says, number two, practice surrendering all that you want to God. That's, I guess that's why we die to self, isn't it? I will never achieve satisfaction if I make it my goal to achieve satisfaction. Let me read that again. I will never achieve satisfaction if I make it my goal to achieve satisfaction. <laughs> You'll always feel like a day late and a buck short. Number three, I can rejoice in the praise of others. A soul rests in the Lord. A soul is not jealous about someone getting the praise. Two men fighting for the same position at work, and one gets it and one doesn't, and the mature person says, let's have a party for my friend who got the promotion. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes in that house, they close the door rather angrily, and they have kind of a pity potty party, and they make up stories about the guy who got it, and he didn't deserve it, and I got screwed, and everything else. But you see, when the soul is right with God, the soul rejoices. Number four, the soul is more satisfied when it is less occupied with self. In Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3, it says, Come all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. You see, when the soul is right, then the behaviors are right. Paul had no problem with Timothy when he said, How's your soul, Tim? Because if your soul is right, I'm not worried about you outlining all these behaviors in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. I know that those will be true because your soul is good. When you run a church, when you run an organization, when you're in a marriage, it's a covenant between souls. Did you know that people who irritate you have a soul? They have a soul. Did you know that your mate has a soul? Did you know that each Republican and each Democrat has a soul? Amen? Come on, I didn't hear it. They all have souls. Everybody has a soul. Even the Los Angeles Raiders have souls. They're very wicked, cramped up, dark little evil souls, but they have souls. <laughs> Can we have a little fun this morning? Yeah. Jonathan, it says, loved David like his own soul. Do you have anybody like that? Do you have someone who you just adore to the point more than your own soul? What phenomenal love that must be. Finally, the ultimate satisfaction is God's satisfaction, not mine. In Luke 12, verse 19 and 20, it says, And I say to my soul, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy and eat. Drink and be merry, this guy says. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul will be demanded of you. 
then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? God sent his son to die for you this morning. He sent him to die. And this morning I want to make sure you understand that. In Jesus, the Father has been satisfied. No amount of, 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 of works that you do is ever going to satisfy the heart of God. He looks to see if Christ is your Savior and Lord. If, if, if Christ has been the one who has been your provision for sin, if He's the one who took your place on the cross, that's what God wants to know. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful time in the life of any church. Years ago, when I was uh, traveling uh, for Campus Crusade and was their national uh, high school speaker, and my hair was down to my shoulders and had my Willie Nelson headband on, it was, it was a pretty gruesome sight, I'll tell you. And I remember I had the last year of my traveling, Carol and I had been married, or the last couple of years, I believe it was, and... and uh, where our first child uh, was, was coming. We, went, we then left Crusade. We went to seminary, and Joseph was born in Denver. I still had a few more obligations, even though in seminary to do some travel. And I remember having to go on one little mission trip. And I, I remember saying to myself, I'm concerned. I hope that Joseph recognizes me when I come home. He's only like seven, eight months. He was standing up now and kind of toddling. You know, that's that age where they're just kind of getting up and they're getting going, and you got to put up the fences in the house and all that stuff. And I said, I, I hope when I come back after this week or two, he'll remember me. And Carol said, well, probably not, but uh, no. Uh, no, she said, you know, he'll, I'm sure he'll be fine. I remember landing, and that's when your family could meet you at the gate. We didn't have all these restrictions, you know, like we have today with security. And I came out, and I still remember Joseph standing there with his arms open. Daddy. And, and I, I lost it. That's a long time ago, but it, in my head, the videotape is very fresh. And I think that's the way it's going to be when we get to heaven. God will know His elect. God will know your soul. And when He comes in and when you come into heaven... I think his arms will be open wide. He'll know you. Just like we sing, he knows my name. He wants to know now your soul because that's what will be recognized when we get to eternity. I know your soul. Well, then finally, in the book of Jude... In verse 17, it says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord of Christ foretold. Now you have Jude, who's the apostle of the church, reminding them of what the apostles of the Lord said. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And then he winds it up with this great verse. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. 
to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So Paul says to Tim, Tim, stay pure. Keep your eye on the ball. Never lose sight of who we are. And quit arguing theologies just for the sake of theology. Remember that the characteristics in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are not characteristics so you can control the church, but so that you can shepherd God's people. And by the way, when there's arguments, Tim, don't take the bait. Critics are abundant. Remember that the family is a microcosm of the church. And by the way, Tim, he'll take your mess and make it a message. Timothy, how's your soul? Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, how's your soul? Not just how are you? Are you feeling okay today? Did you enjoy the view? Not did you have a good time at church? Not were you able just to understand the whole message? But how's your soul? If you've never met Christ, if that decision has never been made, and you've thought all these years that being a Christian is just one who attends church or does Christian things, let me remind you that you can go stand in a garage and that doesn't make you a car. <laughs> you can come to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is one who is completely trusting in what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for him or for her. As I close today, I'd like to offer that prayer that I prayed so many years ago. If you've never made that wonderful discovery of knowing Christ. And for those of us who do know Christ, may our prayer be, Oh God, would you touch my very soul this week? I'm in transition in some way, shape, or form. My heart, my mind... My intellect is open to you, and that's all well and good, but I want you to go deeper. I want you to go to my soul. One of my New Testament professors always said this, and I've loved it. He said, Gene, there really are no deeper truths in Scripture. There are just basic truths that God deepens right to your soul. Lord, this morning we close our service now with your instruction to be mindful that in all things that we are to honor you and to glorify you. And if there might be one here today with heads bowed, eyes closed, and they may say this, they've never invited you in their life, but today they might just repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus, would you come into my life right now? Thank you for dying for me. Please make me into the person you want me to be. I now surrender the life, my life to you. And as the writer says, would you just save my soul? And for those of us who do know you and are current with our, our walk with you, we, we want to go deeper with you. We want you to go beyond our mind and our will and our intellect and our emotions and take us to the very soul of our core that you might reside in there. We don't have to worry about our behaviors then because our soul pants after you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the beauty of this great day. 
May you be honored and may you be praised. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.